Are you ready for good talk? There, Peter Mansbridge here in Stratford, Ontario. Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. Chantelle Bear is in Montreal. You know, it is um, sometimes misleading to make too many judgments based on the personal relationships between, you know, a Prime Minister of Canada and the President of the United States. Sometimes these guys um, look like they really get along, and other times they don't look like they get along. And what does that actually mean in terms of the relationship between the countries? You know, there's lots of examples over history. And, you know, I always think back to the uh, Pierre Trudeau-Richard Nixon time where Nixon was caught calling Trudeau a, and I use his word, asshole, uh, where Trudeau replied in that very Pierre Trudeau-esque way, you know, I've been called worse things by better people, which kind of put the end to that kind of back and forth. But, you know, at the same time, they clearly didn't like each other that much. But the two countries got along in some areas, not all areas, but in some areas. Uh, and so the personal relationship didn't necessarily have that much of an impact on on the relationship between the two countries. We look at the situation now with Justin Trudeau who had a great relationship with Barack Obama. What did it actually deliver? Not sure. He's got a good relationship, it's said, with uh, Joe Biden, and their history seems to have proven that with some of the past visits that Biden made to Ottawa when he was vice president. Uh, But here they are locked horns on the issue of protectionism, and they both basically admitted that there's still a long way to go if they're ever going to get reaching an understanding on on that front. So after their little meeting in uh, Washington yesterday, which also had the president of uh, or the leader of Mexico in the in the room at the same time, um, what was accomplished? Was anything accomplished? Was it just you know one of those photo ops that uh, passes through time and you kind of look back at it months later or years later and say, well, you know, nothing really happened there, or did something happen? What's our assessment of all this, uh, Chantel? Why don't you start? Well, no one sang. And that's a reference for those who are too young to uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Brian Mulroney singing at the tail end of the Quebec summit. And that something did happen there, not just the singing, but uh, it paved the way for the FTA, the the first free trade agreement and eventually NAFTA. And here we are today. So it was um, truly a game changing moment. I don't think anything of that nature uh, took place yesterday still from a canadian perspective i figure there was a small win in the sheer fact that the visit did happen and that it did allow justin trudeau to do the rounds and i don't think there is anyone that he could have met that he did not meet over the course of those two days and having all those doors open is not such an easy thing to to achieve the timing of it was also important or interesting as it came uh, just as the, the the latest stimulus package of President Biden is up for debate and up for votes in Congress. And Canada happens to have uh, something to quarrel with that is fundamental to Canada, and, and that is what the subsidies that uh, Joe Biden wants to offer uh, 
Americans who buy American-made electric cars could do to the future of our auto industry. So that's you know the positive side of it. On the negative side of it, uh, it is usually the case that what is front and center for Canada and the Canada-U.S. trade relationship is not necessarily all that important to uh, the administration. And I think that it, it was clear yesterday that the president's mind was not on Canada's concerns or Mexico's concerns. They do happen to share the concerns over the auto industry's future, but on the politics of it in Congress. Uh, and his answer, I don't know when we'll see later, sounded like a don't call us about this, we'll call you, which I don't think we're going to do, by the way, or we should do. We'll probably redouble our lobbying everywhere on this issue. But still, it's, um, I think it speaks more to Joe Biden's political predicament uh, and how his hands are largely tied by his political circumstances than by a lack of chemistry with Justin Trudeau. No, it's interesting. Uh, we we always, as Canadians, tend to look at, well, you know, did the American media cover this visit the same way the Canadians <laughs> covered it? And the answer is always no, they don't. Um, uh, yesterday, I was, you know, sort of watching all the different networks to see who was doing what and how much coverage it was all getting. At one point, uh, MSNBC had a picture up on the screen of um, Biden with Trudeau. But the headline at the bottom of the screen said, uh, President Biden meets with Mexican leader in Washington. <laughs> it's like you know, that, that was kind of it, you know, like that was their coverage on uh, on the issue. And they, you know, it's kind of mixed up the stuff. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, where are you on this? Uh, you know, I think the point that Chantal made at the, the last is probably the one that I would start with. Uh, although I'm glad she raised Mulroney and Reagan. I think that's a an important kind of bookend to understand some of the dynamics that we see today and how really different uh, America is now. Um, back in the uh, Reagan Mulroney conversation time, you know, you could find free traders across uh, both parties in America, and you really have trouble finding them now. Uh, the Republicans are isolationist, protectionist, and the Democrats are not isolationist, but definitely lean towards protectionism. And uh, the other thing about Reagan is it feels to me like he was a president who was um, kind of in command of uh, his situation and the direction of the country. And I don't see that with Biden now, uh, with all you know appropriate respect for him. Uh, he's polling at 36% approval. Um, his big problem is the Republicans on the surface, but his bigger problem probably is that his party doesn't really uh, have, uh, almost like the conservatives here in Canada, they're not agreed on what they should be for and what they should be trying to accomplish. And so when he says, I don't know if I can do this, I read that as that's a lot better than, than kind of Trudeau Trump, where Trump was saying every time Canada came up, Canada's our objective enemy is doing bad things to us, is harming our economy, is ripping us off, is an unreliable and unhelpful ally. Biden is not there. Biden is saying, I don't know if I can do it, but it comes from a place of, I think we should. Uh, 
I think he understands the economic dynamics between the two countries. I think the chemistry, obviously, between he and Trudeau is pretty good. But I think he's saying, I've learned some hard lessons in the last several months, which are mostly to do with, is my party with me? And also, why am I leaking oil with the American public so much? And so I think he's on tenderhooks. And, I, you know, so I'm very much in the in the world of, uh, something happened because this conversation needs to happen. It won't, it won't be fixed overnight. If it's fixed at all, it will be started and continued and continued. And somewhere along the way, rather than have a big kind of public ideological shift in the democratic party. So they all become kind of more free traders, at least as it relates to Canada, there'll quietly be a carve out or there won't be. But it's probably a good thing that American media doesn't cover it very much because only bad things could probably happen if the profile of Canada looking to have access to e-vehicle assembly became a, a higher profile issue. There'd be more protectionism rather than less. You know, what's interesting about the Biden approval ratings and how they impact this story and our relationship um, is that his policies, especially surrounding the infrastructure program, um, and they, all the money that's going to pour into the American economy are extremely popular. Like they, their numbers are high, and yet it's not, at least so far, um, running off to him as well. I mean, whether it was Afghanistan or any number of different things that happened over the summer have just made his numbers uh, plummet. Now, you know, you both mentioned Reagan. We should keep in mind that Reagan a year, year and a half into his presidency was not doing well. He turned it around by the, the midterms in, uh, at the end of 82. I don't think it was nowhere near this bad, but I mean, he had dropped in terms of his, uh, uh, of his popularity. Um, so, you know, things can change and, you know, will the infrastructure program change his approval rating? I mean, the problem with infrastructure is it can be a great thing, and it looks good on paper and there's a lot of money going in, but it doesn't, you don't see it in a week. You know, there's the, that bridge in your town isn't suddenly rebuilt or <laughs> restructured or what have you. It takes a while. Um, but the impact of his popularity on whatever he does, including his relationship with, with Canada and Mexico, uh, likely suffers to some degree because of his, you know, internal political concerns um, um go ahead Chantal. yeah a couple of points uh, on on the the approval rating i i don't cover u.s politics but even from a distance the way the afghan issue was handled would have uh, had tremendous impact on the american psyche it did on us and we were standing back one row from from what was happening uh, on that score. I also think it hurt Biden uh, internationally uh, and his stature, the kind of messages it sent. And it is true, I agree with, uh, with Bruce that this is more normal than anything Donald Trump was drawing at Canada. But looking at the situation, it seems clear to me that the strategy that Canada used the Team Canada approach to uh, to Donald Trump is now going to have to be used in much the same way and with the same extent of intensity as over the Donald Trump period. And I, I think, you know, the federal government and others will tell you we did not stand down, but I think we did. 
once uh, Biden was elected, because the pandemic happened, we can't kind of relaxed. Uh, and now are relaunching this. I was listening to Ontario Premier Doug Ford this week talking about, you know, how important uh, the auto stuff was, which it is. But it had been a really long time since I'd heard Donald Trump talk about Ontario U.S. interests. Uh, and um, so we're coming a bit late to the realization that not being Trump is not everything. But um, Bruce talks about maybe there'll be a carve out, maybe, maybe there won't be a carve out. So let me just give you my take on what that means for this country's economy. It's not a to be or not to be, and then we'll do something else moment. We are in a transition to a greener economy. For us, that means that our oil and gas industry is over time going to go in some decline. Not today, but tomorrow. Our auto industry is a key piece of our economic infrastructure. That transition means it needs to move to the electric uh, car manufacturing model, and we need our piece of that pie or else our car industry, our auto industry is going to become the equivalent of those who were making horse uh, carriages when the cars arrived. So this isn't just about, will we be selling this piece or that piece? It's about whether the industry has a future. And that is why people in the industry are freaking out and saying things like this is much worse than anything that uh, Donald Trump ever threatened to throw at our industry. So for the Canadian government, for the Ontario government, for any government, there cannot be no carve out. I agree with Bruce, that doesn't mean we should have a signing ceremony on the lawn of the White House, uh, that this should probably be accomplished through back channels because it makes sense for everyone, but it is a crucial issue. Yeah, you're you're completely. Yeah, I think that, Sorry, Peter, did you, did you want to? I was just going to say, Chantel's point about uh, transition to uh, e-vehicles is, is so good. It's so important because when transition really starts to take hold, it happens very fast. And, man, you can be left behind in the dust awfully quick um, if you're not prepared for that. Anyway, sorry, Bruce, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things I would say about that is that, that I think the decarbonization transition is gathering pace and momentum and capital is flowing to places that look like there's strong bets on how to decarbonize using technology, including in the automotive sector. Um, the pace of consumer shifting on the e-vehicle side is a little slower than um, might have been anticipated, in part because some of the biggest manufacturers um, foot dragged on it. Um, and lost, uh, you know, early opportunities, but they're gathering some momentum. And so I think it's fair to say, as Chantal said, that these decisions about where plants are going to be built that are equipped to make these vehicles are being made now um, and over the next two or three years. So I absolutely think it's critical. And, and by saying maybe there'll be a carve out, maybe there won't be, I wasn't uh, in any way indicating that it would be uh, you know, easy to get past the fact that there isn't a carve out or that wouldn't harm Canada. I think the consequences really are great. I think the way that, I, you know, I've worked on the softwood lumber issues over the years and my sense of how this 
works when you're trying to get something done that's kind of rational for the American economy, because it's not really rational for them to upset the supply chain arrangements that they have with Canada, that the instinct on the part of us Canadians sometimes is to say, well, let's really escalate. Let's really raise the profile of it. Let's make this impassioned. We've been friends and allies argument. Let's uh, let's call on Americans, better angels, uh, to to not do this harmful thing to us. And that almost never works. Um, what does work is making sure that uh, a thousand conversations happen with uh, local representatives, senators, state officials who understand the economic dynamics of their community and who know that the, they live the reality that for, I think it's 48 states, Canada's the number one export market, uh, huge uh, cross-border business uh, goes on. And it's not that we'd be threatening them. It's that they need that those, that the officials at that level just have a better understanding of what happens if you disrupt something that's already working pretty well. Whereas at the, at the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden level, people feel more liberated to talk about kind of large sweeping change as though nothing bad can come from cracking the egg. But, you know, I think that we're in the right direction. I thought that the prime minister and the deputy prime minister, um, uh, made their points well in terms of the public commentary. Um, and uh, I think obviously from what you can tell from a distance, the Canadian ambassador um, has the bull by the horns and is, is kind of working a strategy on this. Uh, and, and so fingers crossed that uh, it continues to operate the way that it should. I want to ask you. That will be uh, just uh, one small point. Yes, Christian Freeland knows these files inside out. That will be a big, big test for Melanie Jolie because, as opposed to uh, Francois Philippe Champagne, who replaced Christian Freeland uh, as Foreign Affairs Minister, Christian Freeland kept the Canada US file. The, that, as far as my understanding goes, of the, the cabinet as it is now being reshuffled, is not the case. Uh, and um, Hard to know how many connections uh, Melanie Jolie has built over time in uh, Washington and on Capitol Hill. It's one of the question marks and one of the big question marks about that, uh, that new cabinet, uh, exactly how she's going to fit into it, Melanie Jolie, that is, um, and how she's going to handle that global affairs uh, portfolio. Uh, let me ask one last question on this visit yesterday, because there was a scene... As I said earlier, I kind of was flipping through the various channels, Canadian and American, to try and see who was saying what. And at one point, I think I was passing through Fox, and they had their, they had one of their White House correspondents on the White House lawn talking about something, not about that, not about the Three Amigos Summit, um, something else. But in the background, you could see the Mexican delegation out in front of the White House, all of them taking you know, pictures of themselves from this, you know, great visit at the White House, how exciting it was that they were, you know, all, all kind of there. And these were, you know, a mix of uh, uh, what appeared to be senior bureaucrats and and uh, in some cases, uh, perhaps ministers, I don't know. Um, but it made me think about this whole idea of, you know, flooding the zone, um, which the two countries, the visiting countries did yesterday, trying to get 
their their ministers, some of their key ministers, in front of their uh, counterparts in the U.S. government, and there was time set aside for that kind of thing uh, yesterday. Now, it was all crowded into one day, and you sort of have this, on the one hand, you think, okay, that's good. On the other hand, you're thinking, geez, the Americans, just, they just want to get all this done, get, get them into town, make them feel good, and get them out of town, and we can say we've done our thing in terms of our two um, you know, closest neighbors. Uh, are those kind of days worth it? Do real relationships happen as a result of um, those kind of moments where they, uh, you know, they put the ministers, you know, in a room or virtually in a room with their uh, with their counterparts from the from the other governments? Does that actually make a difference, or is that all just optics, Bruce? Well, I think that the human relationships do matter more than um, uh, than we can even imagine. Sometimes uh, it's it's it's, a, it's so hard to start a conversation with another politician across a border about an issue that's an irritant if you don't really know them, if you've never talked with them before. Um, and so, the investment of time and energy in these relationships really it, it doesn't solve for everything, uh, but it it definitely can make a difference for the better when, when the going gets rough, if you've had conversations when the going isn't that rough, but, you know, to your point, Peter, uh, Washington DC is a little bit like this kind of multiplex of theaters where there's different things going on in the city all the time. And it's hard to stay focused on what is the most important thing. And for most people in Washington, the, uh, the conversations with Canada wouldn't have necessarily been the most important thing. Having said that, when I look at some of the entrails that I'm seeing, I'm assuming that uh, it was a good thing for the prime minister to have a sit down with uh, Kamala Harris, uh, which he did. It was one of the most kind of widely distributed photos coming out of the thing was that they seem to be having a kind of a quiet conversation. Why I think that's important and why I hope that the prime minister or officials on Canada's behalf were also having conversations with Republicans is we don't know. Uh, what the shape of U.S. politics is going to be like after the 2022 elections. It's a fair bet that Biden isn't going to run again, in my view. Um, And who is the Democratic standard bearer at that time? Who knows? But Harris obviously has uh, at least a a kind of a notional lead. Uh, But the House is probably going to flip to Republicans. And it may well be that our salvation on this issue uh, will come from Republicans rather than Democrats. I don't think we know the answer to that, so we're better to kind of flood the field and and uh, and reach out to as many potentially influential stakeholders as possible. You know, we got to write that down, Chantel. Now, Bruce is on the record as one: Biden is not going to run again, and two, as we all remember, a couple of weeks ago, he said Trudeau won't run again. Do you have a block on the word probably? Because I thought I said probably, but we I, go back and listen to I, I tend to, to come for once to Bruce's rescue rather than pile on. I tend to um, agree with his sense that Biden is unlikely to be a, a two-term president. Uh, and I think he himself has raised that possibility that he would be a one-term uh, president. As for your, your question about meeting people face-to-face, I'm no diplomat, but you and I uh, know 
that the best way to develop good, sound, reliable sources is actually not only to meet them face to face, but to expand the conversation beyond our immediate needs in the time of a crisis for information you're much more likely if you develop a face-to-face and then that kind of a relationship to at least get straight talk uh, from the people you speak with. Then if you're just a voice on the phone that rings when something bad is happening and there's a fire in the kitchen. So I, I think that time is time well spent. It's valuable. And it also teaches a number of fairly inexperienced, uh, as in they have not been around for 20 years and they don't have the knowledge that Christian Freeland has of, of Washington and Capitol Hill. It also gives them an opportunity to see where the people across the table are coming from. And that's much easier to do face to face than if you're talking sporadically on the phone or even via Zoom. Also easier to get someone to take your calls or take a meeting if you have actually met them. Peter, I, I don't know if you want to move off this, but I had one other thought. I was just listening to Chantal and thinking, this is so true, what she's saying about these relationships and the nature of the conversation, in part because political leaders have one thing in common, is that they live in this very weird bubble where most of their time is spent with people who are coming to them with advice or requests. And, uh, but those conversations aren't really about a shared experience. And when leaders can get together, uh, if they're political animals, they share a political chemistry. They like to talk with each other about the shared experience of being leaders and what it means. And they may not get into the details of it, but it's a conversation that um, is really quite unique, I think, in the political life of leaders of countries. And so that's why uh, I think over time we've seen examples of those relationships really playing a, potentially anyway, playing a bit of an outsized role because Biden can talk with Trudeau and vice versa about things that not very many other people share as experiences. Um, And that's quite unique. Okay, we are uh, going to take a quick break here because we're going to switch subjects. I mean, Parliament reopens next week. Uh, Monday, they elect a speaker. Tuesday, um, the House sits and there's a throne speech and the action begins. Uh, what kind of action are we going to witness? And uh, what's that House going to look like? Uh, and how, how united are the uh, various groups that will be sitting in it? Uh, we'll have that conversation when we come back. Our podcast is brought to you by Quest Trade, Canada's fastest growing and award-winning online broker. Tired of getting dinged with fees every time you buy or sell US stocks? Well, good news. With Quest Trade, you don't have to. You can hold US dollars in your trading account and avoid expensive forced conversion fees every time you trade US stocks. Switch today and get up to $50 worth of free trades. Visit questrade.com to open an account and use promo code QUEST. Conditions apply. Looking for a way to zhuzh up your dinner options? With 21 flavorful recipes every week, Chef's Plate ensures dinner time will never be boring. Our menu includes easy and quick 15-minute meals and favorite classics, including vegetarian options and more. We don't compromise on the yum factor. Each Chef's Plate box comes with pre-portioned ingredients, measured out perfectly for your meals. Say goodbye to wasted produce and hello to saving money. 
Go to chefsplate.com and click the sign up button and apply the code the bridge. That's the bridge for 50% off your first two boxes. And welcome back. This is uh, Good Talk on the Bridge. It's Friday, and uh, lots to talk about on this day. Uh, before we uh, get going, a couple of reminders. You're, uh, you're listening on either SiriusXM Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. And, of course, we, uh, we are grateful that you've joined us uh, for this edition of Good Talk. The other thing I should remind you, if you didn't hear yesterday's podcast, by popular demand and by, because of your requests, um, I've decided that I will... Uh, you know, sign some book plates uh, because I can't get out there on a on the traditional book tours. Many of you are asking for me to sign your book. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to sign a book plate, which I have some now finally, and I will uh, respond uh, to your request for a book plate to put in the book, either for yourself or for a gift for Christmas, what have you. Um, the are there merch- hats, Peter, and uh, koozies for beer? Can is there any other merchandise that we can get by you know just right. going online or writing you an email? Uh, uh, t-shirts, you know, uh, t-shirts, t-shirts. We have noted that you found yet another way to <laughs> that book. <laughs> I, this is a request I had resisted, and I'd said I wasn't going to oh, do yeah. it again this year after last year signing. I don't know whatever it was, a thousand of them. Um, but I also, I was, I'm away a lot this, this fall, so it was also making it harder. But I'm here for the next couple of weeks, so I thought um, we should do this. And so I, uh, I will. So drop me a line, the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com, the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the publisher requires that you uh, include a proof of purchase slip. And that can be a you and the book, a picture of you and the book, or a picture of the receipt, whatever. Um, and we'll get those out. Okay, enough of that. Let's um, let's deal with the Parliament returning next week. Uh, Chantal, why don't you uh, set the okay. stage for us in terms of expectation for, for what happens? Okay, so the, 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 the logistics, as you stated them on Monday, um, Electing a speaker, uh, the former speaker uh, is running again, and, but he does have competition. That's an, a vote by all MPs in the House of Commons. So that will take whatever time it takes. And at that point, I'm guessing, uh, and the mechanics of this, there's a, an extra logistical wrinkle here. Uh, I don't think that at this point, the it is possible to have a hybrid Parliament. I think it requires a motion to be passed. So that would presumably mean that the people who show up to vote for the speaker would be all of them vaccinated uh, to make their way uh, to the House of Commons to 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 go through that exercise. Uh, that and, and that would presumably mean that those who are not there are going to get phone calls to check whether they were absent because they are amongst the very few conservatives who are not vaccinated. I don't totally expect parliamentarians to try to storm the building, but you do know that the the conservatives want to raise a point of privilege on the issue of uh, mandatory vaccination to take one seat physically in the House of Commons. So all of that will have to be aggled over over the, the first few days. 
The throne speech is the next day. And that, that again poses, I'm told, logistical challenges. How many people do you allow in there, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there are pandemic wrinkles. The politics of it. I don't think, and you guys should look in your hard disks as I say that, I don't think there has ever been a, a, a federal government defeated over a throne speech. It has happened in provinces that parties have been defeated over throne speeches in Ontario, in BC, to name two places. But that's because there was a deal between the official opposition of the day and a third party to replace that government. But even Stephen Harper in 2008, who faced a parliamentary crisis, had had his strong speech voted for by a majority of MPs before that crisis occurred. So let me make a really bold prediction that uh, I invite Bruce to uh, gamble against this government is not going to be facing a no, a, a no confidence motion that brings it down over the throne speech next week. My, uh, <laughs> Boy, you're really, before, really going out on a limb there, Chantal. Hey, and before he gambles against me on this, because I know he likes to gamble on, you know, the things that are <laughs> that could make me rich. Um, two things. I think the biggest danger for all parties in this parliament, but that goes to the opposition parties, is to think that they can resume the games and the toxicity that was the case when Parliament last sat last spring. And why I'm saying that is not just because we've just had an election and the Liberals did win a minority mandate, but it's because we have a, a province in this country that is devastated at this point. Um, and I think that uh, no voter would find it in his or her heart to think it's fun to watch fun and games in the House of Commons with BC undergoing what it is undergoing. Well, go ahead, Peter. No, I was just going to say, you know, totally agree with that um, because this is not a, this is not a, a one week wonder that's happening in BC. This is going to be, this is going to take a, a long time. Uh, they got to rebuild roads and rebuild bridges and rebuild rail lines and, you know, do work in the port. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of stuff, and this is a multi-billion-dollar operation. The, the feds have, you know, you can argue about what did they move too slowly, or did they have to wait for a request? Did they need to hear the BC declare a national emergency or a, a you know an emergency situation? All of which they they have now done. Uh, the feds are moving, they're moving soldiers, they're moving money, they're you know they're doing various things, and so are other provinces and other groups uh, within the country. But it's a long-term situation, and it, you know you ignore it at your peril uh, in terms of your behavior on on Parliament Hill. That, that probably goes for journalists too. Before Bruce mentions it, well, all journalists aren't the same as we know, uh, and we shouldn't talk about them as monolithic. But for sure, the the abiding ethos should be. Uh, let's just do the work. Let's just concentrate on doing the work. And I think that even before the horrific events in BC, that was the kind of the, the quiet billboard from Canadians aimed at Ottawa, which is cut the drama. We don't want another version of a crappy TV show about politics. We just want you to do the work. 
to let us try to get our lives back to normal, to finish this pandemic once and for all, to see the dust clearing a little bit on the future of the economy, hopefully. And so I think that will be the, um, uh, the approach that we tend to see. Although, you know, I'm not going to gamble against Chantal, but I do want to point out that it was a few weeks ago that I made a prediction uh, that I think is turning out to be accurate, which is that the next several months is going to be more about the drama in the Conservative Party than about anything else. I still think that that is going to be the case, and I feel pretty good about that bet. Um, And I don't think that's a great thing for the country, but um, I think it's a thing. Uh, I think the, the, you know, my experience of observing these, and you guys have had just as much experience, so maybe you'll see it differently, is that they're a little bit like uh, icebergs. What you see on the surface or above the surface is usually indicative of something bigger and worse underneath the surface. And so Aaron O'Toole did probably the logical thing, which is to take a sledgehammer to it and try to uh, deal with it in a very forceful way. And it wasn't because Denise Batters is so powerful or important as a thought leader. It's because he must know that there are others who feel that way. And if they don't fear any consequences from him as leader, then that story will repeat itself numerous times. I think it still will. I don't think that that strategy really works in a party that doesn't want to be united. And I think this is a party that does not want to be united. It is more interested in fighting its internal fights than it is in fighting the liberals. So that brings me to what will um, Aaron O'Toole do in the House over the coming days and weeks. Uh, I think there are going to be some surprises in the throne speech. I think one of the things that's been uh, a little bit missing from the the coverage of the run up to Parliament is, uh, at least I haven't seen it, is people kind of digging out the, what is it that the Liberals are going to put in that we haven't thought about? Um, because I think there will be some of those things. I don't know what they are. I'm not kind of hinting at uh, at some knowledge that I have. It just feels to me like um, that has sometimes been their game plan. And it seems to me that against that, the Conservatives have been battling these internal uh, schisms um, and their go-to uh, every day, if they're not doing that, is inflation is a big problem and Trudeau's a jerk. And Uh, I think inflation could become a public opinion uh, issue, but I don't think it is now. I think saying Trudeau is a jerk, uh, we've we've said this, all of us before, they think it, there's some part of the public who thinks it, but there's a big part of the public that goes, that's sort of either not my view or it's not the point. And so I'm really curious to see the dynamics going forward. and uh, including the dynamics around vaccinations of MPs, because uh, it feels to me like that's going to be another kind of ugly scene in the uh, steps of the Conservative Party right now. To use the uh, jerk analogy, uh, and a lot of Canadians would respond to the Trudeau is a jerk with the your guy is a bigger jerk uh, and then move on from there. It is possible that the Conservatives will think that they can use the return of the House of Commons to be as toxic and as aggressive as possible as a diversion from their own troubles. I don't think that will help them at a time when they've been slipping significantly in public opinion that 
that kind of approach will uh, will come across as anything other than tone deaf uh, versus the public mood. But I'm, I don't discard that they will do this. I agree with Bruce that um, the, the, the descent over Aaron O'Toole is like an iceberg and chopping off the little bit of ice that was on the surface does not mean that the iceberg is in any way, shape or form melting in front of anybody's eyes. The problem with what happened this week, kicking uh, Senator Batters from the National Caucus, I understand she's still part of this, as we speak of the Senate Conservative Caucus, um, is that it puts Aaron O'Toole closer to the day when he will want to expel someone who has a huge following within conservative ranks and who is not part of the usual suspects. And that when that day comes, he's done. His leadership will be over. The second problem is that a lot of his caucus support, and it is real, but it is often based, as in the case of the Quebec caucus, on the fear that anyone else would be worse. And so better stick with the one that you have now who actually talks the talk that you agree with, which is the party needs to reposition to do better than to take a chance that you're going to end up with the pendulum swinging back to those who are angry at Aaron O'Toole uh, and with a minority calendar, uh, a, a devastating election uh, for the conservatives uh, could then be just around the corner and those Quebec MPs and others could not be back for the day when they pick a leader that actually manages to unite the party. And at this point, there is no uniting figure standing in the wings to take over from Aaron O'Toole. Yeah, you know, Chantal, I would take your bet uh, about the government falling on this if the Conservatives were polling even uh, with the Liberals as they were just before the election. Uh, you mean that the N- the NDP and uh, you you mean that the NDP and the Bloc Québécois would seriously hand power to the Conservatives? <clears throat> no, I think that the dynamics to try to cause an election are really only those accidental and wrong-headed dynamics when a leader feels like if I can find a way to make this happen, uh, I have a better chance of surviving in the job than otherwise. I don't think we're there. I don't think those dynamics exist. So I, uh, I'm not going to take the bet, but, but I think but that's true, an area sometimes. True, true but a, a government that fell now, and that is why governments have only fallen on the Trump speech when there was already a deal to install the official opposition in government with a third party, uh, is for the NDP and the Bloc to consider that they would, in any scenario, defeat Justin Trudeau within a week of the House coming back so that Aaron O'Toole becomes prime minister would mean that those parties would face the wrath of the people who voted for I know you're offering me a sucker bet and I'm not taking it. (laughs) I think (laughs) I think that's you know, I could when you're betting on things that look like sure things, I don't stand in the way of um, putting money on the line to just (laughs) send it, send you a check next week. Here's what I don't uh, here's what I don't get. Um, and it's especially so about the conservatives. I do not understand why at a time when no one, no one in the country wants an election right now, they just don't want one. There, there are so many other things uh, front of mind. Why the conservatives are spending so much time on, on this issue. This is a, 
This is a perfect opportunity for any political party. The country's at a crossroads on some of the biggest issues we as a nation uh, are going to face and, uh, and for generations to come, whether it's you know climate, whether it's uh, indig- Indigenous affairs, whether it's the economy, inflation, you name it. Um, all these issues are critical to the, the future um, of this country and in uh, and the future of you know our people and to, and to be watching ottawa and seeing it sink into this once again you know this guy's not good enough this 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 woman's not smart enough for a cabinet position or the, whatever the case may be people must just you know sure there are some people who love an election they and you you know we talk about the you know those who, who have a you know a particular feeling about Trudeau, but the overwhelming majority, the last thing they want right now is a, is an election. What they want is a parliament that's going to address the big issues that are in front of it in a smart, constructive, innovative uh, way, um, and offer various solutions and debate them in a constructive fashion. But what what they're seeing is this kind of stuff going on and you know uh, you know let's bring down Aaron O'Toole um it it just like they don't have their finger on the pulse I don't think of of what you know most Canadians would like to see happen and those aren't those aren't Canadians who are you know pro-liberal or pro-NDP or pro-conservatives they're just Canadians who want to see something actually done and cut the crap of, uh, uh, of what's been just sort of kind of too much out front in terms of uh, political discussion uh, for too long. And, we, you know, we lead into this too. I mean, let, let's face it, we, <laughs> we, we have a role in, in, in these discussions as well and, uh, and giving oxygen to these kind of fights uh, that happen within parties at different times. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts on that little uh, soliloquy, but first we'll take our final break. Here it is. Looking to cook smarter and faster at home? Chef's Plate dinner boxes give you back the time spent on meal planning and grocery shopping by delivering everything you need to cook delicious meals right to your door. Each Chef's Plate box also comes with pre-portioned ingredients measured out perfectly for your meals. Say goodbye to wasted produce and hello to saving money. Go to chefsplate.com, click the sign-up button, and apply the code THEBRIDGE. That's one word, the bridge, to get 50% off your first two boxes. If you have type 2 diabetes, it might be time for you to have a heart-to-heart with your own heart. There's no sugarcoating it. Type 2 diabetes affects more than just your blood sugar levels. It can impact many parts of your body, including your heart. If you have diabetes and a history of heart disease, there are medications that, along with diet and exercise, can lower your risk of dying from problems related to your heart and blood vessels. Talk to your doctor today and visit myheartmatters.ca to learn more. Brought to you by two of Canada's leading pharmaceutical research-based companies. Our Black Friday sponsor is The Economist. If you don't already know, its expertise lies in making sense of the world's most important developments. It offers completely independent opinion and analysis, giving you a balanced global view of an issue instead of a biased or politically motivated opinion. And don't be fooled by the name. It covers pretty much everything from culture to science and technology, from politics to finance and business. It's Black Friday. Get 50% off the annual digital subscription to The Economist. This gives you access to the website, their app, podcasts, newsletters, webinars, and more. It's a great offer, and we think it'll make a difference the way you see the world. 
There's a reason world leaders read it. We hope you will give it a try. Just visit economist.com slash bridge50 to get 50% off your first year, including full access to the app and economist.com. That's economist.com slash bridge50, where 50 is a number for 50% off your first year to enjoy The Economist whenever and wherever you want. Okay, back for final thoughts with uh, Good Talk. Chantel's in Montreal. Bruce is in Ottawa. I'm in Stratford, Ontario. Um, Are the politicians on Parliament Hill like totally out of touch with what most thought is in the country on the part of Canadians from all walks of life, from all political um, uh, backgrounds, in terms of what they want to see happen in this new parliament? Bruce? No, I don't think so. I think the question that is on my mind is, um, and you and I talked about this the other day a little bit, Peter, I think the Conservatives would make a mistake to replace Aaron O'Toole now. I think basically they'd be choosing to replace somebody who, as Chantal mentioned, has made an effort to reposition the party closer to a place that might succeed politically in forming a government. That doesn't mean that there aren't blemishes on his scorecard or that people can't be angry about the fact that he campaigned for the leadership one way and then he flip-flopped. But if we just look at the question of climate change and climate action as one of the schisms within the conservative movement right now, Aaron O'Toole said he was against the carbon tax and then he said, here's one that I think is a better one. That's a better position for the conservatives than this constant kind of pretending to care but not really caring and not offering a policy. And for sure, Andrew Scheer's policy was nothing um, in that space. I mentioned that one because I had a a conversation with businesses across British Columbia uh, with the BC Business Council last night. And we were talking about a variety of things, including uh, obviously the devastating flooding that's going on there, but also um, the data that we've been gathering about attitudes towards climate change and climate action. There is almost no place in Canada where you can find a significant number of people saying, let's not work on solving this. So uh, I hope that the Conservative Party solves for this this schism and some of the others. I do think Aaron O'Toole has been trying to do some of the right things. I saw in his appointment of Tim Upal uh, for outreach, somebody who he had empowered to say things uh, that reflected the fact that the conservative brand has been positioned not as a welcoming brand for uh, minority communities. So I think he's doing the right thing. And I think that there are a, a good number of conservatives who want to reposition that party to a place that is more aligned with mainstream Uh, voting Canada. Um, And I'm hopeful uh, that they succeed in that because, as I've said before, I think we need good competition. And because we might run out of time, Peter, uh, maybe we can talk about the Leafs surging uh, next week. Just just a second here. Um, We're not going to talk about hockey with me sitting in Montreal. (laughs) Uh, And before you brag about your Leafs, just 
Let's wait till the end of the season. That's right. Uh, the, the season ends this weekend. Remember this sequence from last year. <laughs> but I do have things to say about the Conservatives. Uh, you ask about their tone, because I think when you talked about MPs being disconnected from the public mood, you really meant Conservatives. Uh, the tone has been particularly um, striking. Those examples you gave were from conservatives. I think it goes beyond dissent within the ranks and the defense of their leader. This is a party that has become addicted to its form of fundraising, and it fundraises by making people angry. And the people who send it money are people who happen to believe that Justin Trudeau is the worst thing that's ever happened to this country. So this is where they're going. And on the score, uh, as an aside, I'm guessing Maxime Bernier is looking at all this thinking, what if I could pick up one or two MPs out of this one day and have representation in the House of Commons? Uh, and it's fair of him to, to look for that, but there are conservatives who worry about things like that. Now, I'm going to give you four names. Stockwell Day, Thomas Malker, Stéphane Zion, Michael Ignatieff. None of those persons is a conservative. All of them are leaders of the opposition who lost the campaign, not always badly, and who wanted a second chance. And where did they end up? So that's the history that Aaron O'Toole is fighting. There is only in, in past decades, more recent time, one leader of the opposition who got a second chance. He was called Stephen Harper, and he had just reunited the two branches of the conservative movement. So... I think what uh, Bruce said about keeping Aaron O'Toole makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it matters what Bruce or I or you think about this. Uh, the fact is that Aaron O'Toole does not have a mandate from the membership of his party to reposition the party. The fact is that he campaigned to do the opposite. And the fact is that he is never going to get to August 2023 in one piece uh, unless he moves that vote forward and gets a mandate for his party. He will, his choice is between the death of the thousand cuts or facing uh, the guillotine and saying, do you really want to cut my head off? Well, that's well, but I love that. Very simple, very clear. What a choice. It, yes. Well, all those people faced Stockwell, they tried to run for his own job. Thomas Mulcair went through a leadership confidence vote. We know what happens. Stéphane Zion was basically told to pack it up and go home. Uh, and Michael Ignatieff, who didn't resign on the night of, was uh, told the next day that uh, it was the only thing he could do. 15 seconds for each of you uh, before we close out. Uh, what's the one thing you're looking for next week when Parliament reopens? Bruce. Well, I'm really stymied still by this conservative MP vaccination thing. I know it's a sideshow and I feel guilty about being as interested in it as I am, but I'm really curious that they haven't fashioned a solution to this sense of mystery about how many of their MPs aren't vaccinated. Chantal? I would really like to read a throne speech that sounds businesslike and that talks about things that are going to get done rather than a lofty language. And I know it goes against the grain, but since the governor general is in the process of learning French, I fear figure short, effective sentences in both languages would be much appreciated. I think, I think everybody would uh, vote for a short, 
effective uh, speech from the throne because um, we've all heard some really, really long, boring ones over time. Um, all right. That's going to wrap it up for uh, for this week's Good Talk. Chantel in Montreal, Bruce in Ottawa. Thank you uh, to both. And thank you to all our listeners uh, across the network of uh, SiriusXM Canada and, of course, wherever you're listening on your podcast. I'm Peter Mansbridge. This has been Good Talk for this week. And we'll see you again on the bridge on Monday.